Welcome, church, to the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Sister Mary, for that delightful hymn. I hope you're ready to receive from the Lord this morning, church. We have the distinct privilege to welcome to the pulpit this morning. Uh, um, uh, what's that dude's name? You are now tuned in to the Sermon Archives of William R. Horn. Kingdom Dreamer Productions. (laughs) Welcome in to the Sermon Archives. You're here for another episode of Season 1, Sermons of Days Past. We're working through my hard drive, Sermons from the Past, until we get to the current day. The sermon we have for today was recorded on February 3rd, 2013. Uh, Another one from my church, Springfield, Ohio, where I was youth pastor for a season. This one is called, Are You Loyal to the Gospel? And the passage is 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Uh, Make sure you are ready, ready to learn, ready to gain fruits, even from sermons of old. Um, Make sure you follow me on Twitter, William R. Horn. We could chop it up. Also, you can support me, my ministry, and the Kingdom Dreamers Network at patreon.com forward slash Kingdom Dreams for as little as $5 a month. Uh, check it out. We got a lot of cool things. Uh, you can get different merch. Uh, we have a Discord community to discuss different things. We have a book club. We have all those things. So make sure you check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Kingdom Dreamers to support the movements and yours truly. Without further ado, let's jump into the sermon. Are you loyal to the gospel? Second Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Good morning, my church. God is good, isn't he? That's probably the hardest transition ever to transition out of worship because it's so good. All you want to do is sit there and worship. My prayer, my prayer for today is that you would be able to leave here in awe of who God is and that you leave surrendered to his will. So today, as everybody transitions out, I would like to pause and talk about the word loyalty. Loyalty. What is to be said about loyalty? You ever have a loyal friend? You know, somebody you could count on in the thick and the thin? They always had your back no matter the circumstance, and they weren't ashamed of your friendship, even around people that didn't like you too much. You know that friend? He got one in mind. You can always count on them. Or maybe your thoughts on loyalty aren't, aren't that great. Maybe you've had a lot of friends who've done you wrong, so to say. Some of us like to call them backstabbers. Maybe that's your experience of loyalty. Or maybe the only thing that you've had loyal to you is a dog. Man's best friend, right? They're always loyal. Maybe you even haven't had that, right? But let's think about it in a different light. What about if other things in your life 
weren't so loyal to you. Right? Like your job, they only pay you half your paychecks. It's all good. At least they tried, right? They got half of it there. Some things might be said, right? Or what about the mailman, right? He only delivers your, your mail like once a month. Some bills might be late, you know. See, if these type of things were happening in our life and things were unloyal to us, uh, we'd be pretty fed up, right? Some words would be said. Whether they're good or not, eh, that's up to you. But let's take, it, let's take it one step further. Something a little bit more intimate if you haven't got the point yet. Let's say somebody like your spouse or somebody wasn't loyal to you. The person that should love you the most and know the deepest things about you, and they weren't loyal to you. The words that describe the emotions and the hurt that would go along with something like that are, are deep, right? That's a lot of pain. Or what if you reverse that and you weren't loyal? Or you weren't loyal to all these things you're called to? So here's, here's the big question I have for you today. And it should be felt with the same grief and deepness as, say, loyalty between spouses. My question for you today is, are you loyal to the gospel? Are you loyal to the gospel? You might say that's a loaded question with a lot of answers, or what I might call excuses, as to what does it mean to be loyal to the gospel? You know, I go to church on Sunday. Right? I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. And the depths of that question, I believe, are handled in Paul's writing. He writes to 2 Timothy uh, that Randy so beautifully read. So if you do have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. Um, and Randy read 6 through 10, and that's kind of our widespread context. But my focus is only going to be on 7 through 10. So, Loyalty. First, we need to define some terms before we begin to understand what Paul's trying to get at. So loyal, we've talked about enough already. What does it actually mean? Most people would define loyalty as faithfulness or dedication to a person, a country, a group, or a cause. It's a simple definition, but I don't think it quite captures the depths of what it means to be loyal. Many would argue that it's strictly something that's interpersonal a devotion between people, an intimate relationship. That probably better defines it, that you can't, you can't be loyal to stuff. This stuff cannot be loyal back. But there's this intimacy between people when things are loyal, right? We know from the beginning of 2 Timothy that Timothy has been passed down a sincere and a real faith from his mother and his grandmother, Right? Paul had a close relationship with him, and he knew that he had this faith passed down to him. And he was also positive that it wasn't just passed down to him, but Timothy was living it out. Timothy understood what the gospel was. So Paul is reminding Timothy to fan into flame this gospel, this faith that's been handed to him. Paul urges Timothy to stay loyal to the faith, stay loyal to the gospel. And live it out in the fullest. See, Timothy knew that God created this world. He created all perfect. That humanity was perfect until we disobeyed. 
Adam messed up like the rest of us would have, and sin entered the world. Timothy knew that. He knew that there was trouble, and we'd always fall short of God's glory. We can never reach it. We couldn't find a way to climb the ladder to God, but we'd always fall. He knew that God, being the good and just judge that he is, would have no choice but to send his creation to hell, that our own sin and destructive habits would take us there anyhow, where we don't belong, right? We don't belong in hell. But Timothy also knew that there was a hope, that there was a hope found in the self-revelation of God through Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He knew that God came down the ladder and walked with us. He showed us the way to live, and then he died defeating sin, rose again defeating death, and ascended to the right hand of the Father where his creation where sinners could be seen as righteous and perfect, even though we're not. So when we trust our lives, we put Christ on our throne, we're seen as perfect. And that's the gospel. And Timothy knew that. He knew the beauties of the truth. He knew the depths of it. And see, he not only knew it as some head knowledge, he didn't just know, you know, nice little criteria, the Romans wrote, some Bible verses he memorized. But he knew it through his faith in the crucified one. Right? The only way we can truly know God, he knew it through this faith. It was deep within his soul. It's what drove him. It was his means of living. Timothy was a part of the bride of Christ, the church, which we should be part of also. The priesthood of all believers, this elect body of saints. Timothy was a true Christ follower. And he's living well in community as we should too. And Paul here knows that. So he's not sending exhortation and harsh commands to him. But he's sending him encouragement and reminders. Um, as Timothy was timid and unsure in his faith at some times. Even though it was at the depths of his soul. So Paul here is saying, Timothy, stay loyal to the gospel. So now let's, let's actually walk through what Timothy was told by Paul. And I also want you to notice as we walk through this scripture, Paul's beautiful understanding of who God is that we often separate and forget. He understood the unity and the diversity of the Trinity, the entire person of God, and how that works out in our life through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to be loyal to the gospel, Paul brings two commands. And they're not harsh commands, like I said before, but they do have deep implications to them. Just because they're not harsh and nobody's yelling at you doesn't mean you don't follow it. But he's coming in and bringing these commands with love. And his first command we see in verse 8. Verse 8 says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. He says, don't be ashamed of this gospel. You ever been ashamed of it? We like to say no, and I hope that's true. But think about your life. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? And being ashamed of the gospel can come in many different forms, right? It can come from just being silent about it or never actually resting in the gospel, but living out in our religious works, like that'll do something for us. 
Are you ashamed of the gospel? I can remember when I was 14 years old, this concept of being ashamed or unashamed of the gospel consumed me. See, at the age of 13, I began listening to um, a group of rappers that spoke the word to me when I couldn't understand it at a young age. I started listening to people like Lecrae and the 116 Click, the Cross Movement and Gospel Gangsters, if any of you are hip-hop fans. I know Lorenzo has me at least, right? <laughs> Amen. But I began listening to these, these artists at a young age, um, and my faith was growing. Right? I was consumed by it. I, I really didn't understand the Bible. I mean, I knew the stories and stuff, but it brought it to me in the light I understood, and my faith began to grow and grow quickly. But most people still took this life that I was choosing as a joke and also the music, so I was a little hesitant with it still, right? Now I remember one day, one day when I was 14, 13, 14 years old, after basketball practice, um, I was going to hitch a ride back with one of my teammates because my dad either couldn't give me a ride or forgot me. It both happened. So, tough childhood, not really. But I was on my way back to my house with uh, my teammate, and his father was driving. And his dad asked me a simple question. He was like, what type of music do you like? And I kind of sat there, and I hesitated a little bit. And I was like, oh, you know, I listen to all types of music. I don't really care. You know, it's all good. It's like, oh, okay. Even though I knew good and well, I was going back to my room, and I was about to bang that hip-hop that talked about Christ. And that's, I was so consumed by it. But I told him, nah. I don't really care. I like all types of music. It's all good. And I remember this day as clear as can be at 14 years old, and I laid down to go to sleep that night, and conviction just dropped on me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't fall asleep, and all I could think of is like, wow, I just copped out of the easiest question in the world. I essentially just denied God by denying what type of music I listened to. And that night, I remember just being so convicted. And I promised God I would never live unashamed of it. I promised him that no matter what, I would live God boldly. No matter if I was rejected or killed, even in an American high school, it could happen. That I would not reject him. And this is when I became obsessed with 116 and Romans 116. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And this consumed my life. So are you living unashamed of the gospel? If it came down to rejection or death, would you proclaim Christ boldly? See, if we're truly God's people, we won't shun God in public or stay silent about them. Being unashamed of the gospel requires you to live, speak, and seek God's face with an aggressive pursuit. The Bible says, taste that the Lord is good, and if you've tasted it, you will live unashamed, and you'll let others taste it. You'll bring it to them. This can only happen when we get outside the four walls, and we live loud about that. We are the means that God chooses to bring truth to the world. And that's a humbling fact that the people that 
for the reason he had to die are what he chooses to use to bring the truth to the world. And this can't happen if we don't live unashamed. And this defines us being loyal to the gospel. See, Paul was encouraging Timothy to continue living unashamed in all situations he faced because he knew he was going to face some more as he was just put in leadership of a church in a harsh place, that he was going to go through some trials. He said, live unashamed through those trials. And that same word I bring to you today, my church of Springfield, Ohio, that we would continue to live unashamed. I say this with care because I know that this body as a whole lives unashamed. That's what drew me to this church at 18 years old, confused and leaving home, was a place that was unashamed of the gospel, that would go out and tell that word, that would live it loud. And I bring to you today that you continue to live unashamed and you examine your, your lives and know that we can't live silently. The great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who I, I love to quote, he said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. There comes a time when silence is betrayal. Let that sink in with you, that no matter where in our lives, this would not be some silent matter, but it would affect all of our lives, right, in every part of our lives. And if we're silence, that's betrayal. That's not loyal to the gospel. And that's Paul's call to Timothy and also the call we have today, that because Jesus and what he did on the cross should make us find our joy in him and count the rest as loss. Because he, he paid the price and it was his entire life. He went all in 100%. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. So the question is, are you going all in for Christ? Because that's what he did for you. That price is too high for us not to live loyal to it. The second command that Paul gives to Timothy in his commission to keep him loyal to the gospel is found in the second part of verse 8. He says, rather join in me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Join in me in suffering for the gospel. See, problems with scriptures like these are really just problems with us. There's no problems with the scriptures is that we either ignore it or we try to put some fluffy blessing, spiritual blessing language over top of it, right? Because suffering is hard. That doesn't make sense. I came to Christ so it'd all be good, right? Paul seems to think something different. He thinks to seem, right? He seems to think that suffering is part of you being loyal to the gospel. That it's not some side thing like, oh, you run into problems, you know, it's all good, just read your Bible a little more, pray more. That's not what he's saying. He says, suffer for the gospel. See, and Paul has plenty of room to speak about this as he's probably imprisoned again, like his entire life, locked up for the gospel, facing death and violence. And he says, suffer for the gospel. So first thing I think we need to recognize is that not all suffering is the same. It's not just one big category. 
Uh, I like to argue that there's four different types of suffering. The first type of suffering is suffering as a human race in a fallen world. Suffering as a human race in a fallen world. Now notice I didn't say suffering because we are human, right? Too often we make an excuse, oh, I sin, well, it's my human nature. Your human nature is not to sin. Your human nature, you created good. You created in a perfect place. It's the fallen nature of this world that gives us temptation and suffering. Not you as a human. Humanity is good. And the fallen state of this world just gives us a promise of pain and unjust evils. Suffering is always suffering on this side of glory. While we're here on earth, we'll face it. It hurts, and it often doesn't make any sense. But it can't be simply erased by speaking, quote-unquote, spiritual blessings over top of it. See, now don't hear me saying I don't believe in spiritual blessings. I'm a very highly blessed and favored man. But I think we misunderstand what suffering is and how that relates to the gospel. Far too often I hear Christians speaking falsely into people's lives who are suffering, right? They say something like, oh, just turn to Christ and you won't have to deal with that suffering anymore. Or just pray a little bit more, read your Bible. That's probably why you're suffering. You're just, you know, you're lacking in your faith right now. Is that always true? See, suffering is not blessed. It's suffering. And our works are never a means to get out of it. Matthew 5.45 says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. That's a sobering reality. To let that set in that suffering is painful and it's there and we can't avoid it. But listen, here's the difference is those who walk in the ways of the world, they will be defeated and destroyed by this suffering. They will fall into pits of grief and pain that they'll never, ever walk out of. But the saints, those who follow Christ and put their faith and trust in him, can walk through suffering and pain with a hope. With the hope of true blessings in life, on the other side of this world, when we enter the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth, when God's kingdom reigns and we live with our king, we know that's where true blessings, the apex of blessings happens. It doesn't happen here on earth. And that we can walk through anything that comes through. And walking through it doesn't mean denying it. You just walk through with the hope. You've got a greater power to overcome. Don't live as a citizen in this world, falling into pits of destruction when suffering comes. But live with hope. And this is what I would call the first part of the call to join in suffering for the gospel. That we handle it correctly in light of the gospel. That when the world's pains and things that don't make sense and shouldn't happen, we can embrace the fact that shouldn't happen, that's wrong. But I can walk through that with hope. The second type of suffering, I would say, is suffering because of sin in our lives. 
suffering because of sin in our lives. Now remember, this is just one type of suffering. Too many people like to put like sin over top of every suffering. Like we just said previously, there's things in this world that don't make sense and don't have a reason, but that's the fallen state we live in. But I'm not afraid to preach that if you sin, problems will come. There are circumstances to when we do wrong. And I also feel the need to clarify this is not karma. Karma doesn't exist. God does. You do wrong, consequences follow. And even outside of the typical, you know, responses and consequences that come with sin, right? You steal something, you know, you might go to jail and all those type of things. We also know that our Heavenly Father disciplines his children. Sometimes that's hard to understand. But Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord's discipline, or the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. So now, how this looks, I don't know. That's between you and God. But like a good earthly father would, our Heavenly Father disciplines his children. That's love, right? That God doesn't just let us walk down paths of destruction, that he will put different suffering in our life to say, hey, get that sin out of there. You're killing yourself. And this is the beautiful process of sanctification, of becoming holy, that we respond to conviction and we pray that the Holy Spirit purges this sin from us, that we don't seek to live that way anymore. This is our pursuit of holiness. And we'll continue to talk more about that as we see what else Paul talks about. But now for the third and fourth category of suffering. And I'm going to group them together today just because of time. There's a lot in these few verses. But the third type of suffering, I would say, is suffering for living righteously for God. And the fourth is Christ calling us into the suffering of other people. Suffering for living righteous and Christ calling us into other people's suffering. So the two types of suffering we talked about before um, are suffering that, that happen. We have to handle them correctly in light of the gospel. And these last two are suffering that we have to face because of the gospel. And this is more in line with what Tim, or Paul's telling Timothy, probably what he's referring to, that you're going to suffer for the gospel. And some people just simplify this to, oh, this is just the persecution that Paul was facing, right? That, you know, he's in prison, he's faced death, all this violence, he's just talking about that. But I don't think we do his writing justice to just simplify it to the persecution of his time. We face and we will face persecution, and we will suffer for our Christian faith today. Don't fall for the lie that, oh, I live in America, freedom of religion, you know, that'll save me. Because here's the problem is I'm not a religious guy, and you shouldn't be either, right? Jesus preached against the religion of his time and the legalism of the Pharisees. He was looking for authenticity. He's looking for something real in your life, a real faith. And... If you are living out the gospel, you will face adversity wherever you're at. But if you live life ashamed of the gospel, you're of no threat to the kingdom of darkness. 
So why would you face suffering? But if you're authentic, you're a threat to everybody's status quo. You're going against the grain. You're something they haven't seen before. You will be persecuted one way or another. And this is suffering for living righteously for God. But not only does this type of suffering call you to go against the grain in the world and face adversity, but a life that's seeking to live righteous will also face the pain of dying to sin. You will face the pain of dying to sin. Now, I separate this from what we talked about earlier, that there is suffering because of sin, right? Our Heavenly Father disciplines us. But seeking to live righteous, pursuing holiness, you got to kill sin. You can't have it live in your life. And this is the suffering that comes on the other side of that. When we try to break away from sin, that hurts. That's not easy, right? It's not just like that or, you know, we wouldn't have to come. We wouldn't have to trust in God. But this is part of suffering for the gospel. There are some things in this world that will attract your eye, but you must deny it. You must kill sinful thoughts in your minds. And that's going to hurt. But praise God, he he lets it fall away, right? And he changes our interests. He changes our loves. And this is the process, the walk we have with God. This type of suffering also calls us to answer other people's suffering. Like I said before, it calls us to, as a saint, get into other people's pain. Like we stated earlier, the pains of this world will weigh heavy on everybody. And you must be willing to join the suffering of your fellow brother or sister in Christ. The saying, when one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts, should be an ever real reality for us as a church. And when one is suffering, we will lift them up. We will point them back to the hope they have to walk through it. And we must be willing to feel that pain. Not just talk falseness over top of it, but feel that pain. To endure suffering, we must lean into God and properly live in community. That's how he's created us. We cannot walk alone. And obviously, we can't walk without God. And this is how we enter other people's suffering. But going beyond that, we're called to enter other people's suffering outside of the church, too. That's a lot harder. We must enter in a way that we can feel their pain and minister properly to people. And this doesn't mean you can walk into people's situations saying, I know what you're feeling, because you probably don't. But the beauty of living out the gospel and entering other people's pain is that we'll be able to comfort beyond our experience. We'll be able to comfort and still live in reality, not some false spiritual place, but we're here on earth. And we'll be able to see that reality and walk out hope and bring others to that hope. So don't ever void reality when you're attempting to comfort. Don't ever run away from it. All that does is give false security when we have real security in Christ. So why would we ever speak false into other people's life when we have a hope that overrides all? Some of the question. See, the beauty of it is this, is that rain's going to fall on everybody, but rain's what's needed for flowers to grow. And God shines behind the clouds the whole time. That when we walk through suffering, 
we will become mature. We will grow in our character when we walk through it properly. You can walk through it wrong and come out bitter and looking pretty bad. But when we walk through in light of the gospel, we will come out stronger. Paul's command to join in the suffering for the gospel calls us to discern our suffering correctly and then respond in light of our hope in Christ. From the pain of this world to the persecution of the saints, we are to walk through it in light of the gospel. A, a theologian that I just recently read an article about named Timothy Wedgert, he put it this way, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it a little bit. But he said, the sufferer who is driven by suffering will come to realize their true neediness for the true God, true faith, true prayer, the true cross, and true humanity. So suffering brings us back to our need for God and his grace. That we walk through that and we know we need to submit to the king. And our response in suffering determines our loyalty to this gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. Don't ever deny suffering, but walk through it in the hope of Jesus Christ. So now we see to be loyal in Paul's eyes and should in ours means you will live unashamed of the gospel and you'll suffer for it. That's what it means to be loyal. And that's quite a high call. And we must examine ourselves. But first, before we just leave the difficult task like that with no real way to accomplish it or motivation to even do it, let's see what else Paul says. What encouragement he leaves Timothy about living a life of sacrificial service and boldness for the gospel. So when I hear these commands of live unashamed and suffer for the gospel, I ask myself three different questions. The first one I ask is, why do I follow these commands? Why do I follow these commands? The second one I ask is, how can we follow these commands? They seem impossible at times. And the third one is, how do I know these things to be true? And I believe Paul answers all three in his writing to Timothy. So the first question, why do I follow these things? Look to verse 9 with me. He says, he, referring to the Father, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So why should we live unashamed and enter suffering? Because God has saved us. That's a big deal. God has saved us. We have a reason to continually fall into submission to God. He has saved us, and we don't deserve that. But he says he's not only saved us, he's also called us to be holy. See, too often, I think, at least in today's culture, is we pull faith and holiness so far apart, we can't even see that they're dependent upon each other anymore. That we dumb faith down to saying a sinner's prayer and then you're all good, go live life. And we pull holiness over here like, that's something wrong, that's impossible, that's just Bible talk. But in fact, they go together. Paul doesn't separate them. He says, God has saved you and he has called you to be holy, to be set apart, to be pure, obedient and righteous. And if we truly trust God as our king, and love Jesus as our Lord, 
We will live like it. We will keep his commandments and will pursue to live lives of purity. This salvation and call are not your own, but he says it's God's saving work and redemption in and for his people. This grace has poured out on us, allows us to live life holy. Now, there are two types of holiness or sanctification, however you want to say it. And the first one is definitive holiness, which is what we are in Christ. You put faith in Christ, you are seen as righteous, perfect, and holy, even though you're not. When we trust our lives with Christ and put him on the throne, this is our identity. We are God's holy people. We don't deserve this, nor can we earn this holiness, but it's only through what Christ did on the cross that we can be seen as holy. It's a gift of God. And the second type of holiness is this, is progressive holiness. Meaning we are to continually strive to look more like Christ and live according to our call. We must live with both balances of those holinesses. This holiness or pursuit of holiness should be our greatest desire and our drive in life. It should be what wakes us up in the morning. So ask yourself, is it God that wakes you up in the morning and your call to holiness? Or is it your own selfish ambitions that wake you up in the morning? Our greatest desire should be Christ and his holiness and seeking that. And if we have faith in Christ, will we, we will be pursuing holiness. Let this sit on you for a minute. That faith and holiness are together. They shouldn't be pulled apart. So we should be living lives of unashamed love for the gospel, not afraid to suffer for it. And this is the very depths of our salvation and our call to holiness, a must to be loyal to the gospel. The second question that we must ask when we're confronted with these harsh commands or harsh sounding is how can we follow these commands? How can we follow these commands? Look back to verse 7 with me. It says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So you're not alone to follow these commands. You're not alone to pursue holiness, to live unashamed, and to enter suffering with the right hope. In fact, by yourself, all you'll do is fail. That's the sad facts of it. All you do is fail, and we fall into pits of destruction, either living lives bitter and full of sin or of self-righteous religion and never seeing Christ clearly. But praise be to God, you don't have to walk alone. That if you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit is a gift to you that indwells you and empowers you. And Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of this gospel because you have power. You have love, and you have discipline, all given to you through the Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. You can live with power over evil, and you can live with authentic love for God and his people, and you can live lives of self-discipline. God didn't just leave us helpless here with an impossible call on our lives. 
but he gave us the very tools we needed to accomplish it. So if we have faith in Christ, if we are living in Christ, we can never go back to the excuse of our fallen state, but only turn to God in repentance because he has given us the power to live out this life holy and pure. Notice right here in verse 8, right after he says, you have the spirit, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join in me with suffering for the gospel by what? By the power of God. We can't skip that part. You cannot be ashamed. You cannot live unashamed. You can't enter suffering without the power of God. And that's what this Holy Spirit is. This Holy Spirit gives us power, brings us along this path, makes us holy. So we're seen as holy and we are becoming holy. A great, great combination. So you not only have the call on your life to be holy, to accept salvation, you not only have the motivation because God has saved you, but you also have the very tools to submit to God and live this life, knowing that real blessings are found on the other side of this earth when we go live with our king in the heavenly kingdom. So tap into this power that's already given to you. Don't ignore it. And you can live your call to be holy. You can live loyal to the gospel. The third and final question we must ask ourselves, since we already have asked why and how we can do this, is how do we know this is true? How do we know this is really essential to my life? How do we know salvation in this call to holiness is real? Look with me to the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. It reads, This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to lights through the gospel. So we know this gospel to be true. We know this call to be true because of God's revelation through Christ Jesus. He appeared in God's perfect timing so humanity could see how to live. And then he died defeating death and brought us life. Notice also the full recognition Paul has here for the entirety of God, the Trinity, right? God the Father has saved us and called us to holiness. We know this because Jesus Christ came and showed us. And we can do this because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit given to us. That's the, the fullness of God, the fullness of God that gives us life and calls us out of death. We must live in that, recognize who God is, that it's not just some funny almighty power that we don't have relation with, but it's the very means by which we live, and it's the very means by which we can live, meaning we can't do it on our own. This self-revelation of God through the grace of Jesus Christ, should deepen our sense of living unashamed for the gospel and entering into suffering for the gospel. We know God only through the suffering servants. We only know him through the suffering servant and our biblical recordings of it. We often don't think about that, that because Jesus came, that's really the only reason we know who God is, that we could have relation with him. Jesus, 
he didn't live a life of religious glory and power. But he lived a life of suffering and servanthood. And that's our God. His glory was not full until after the resurrection, as will be with us. We must look at life through the lens of the cross in Jesus' life. That if we really want to look like Jesus, we're going to live lives of sacrificial love and servanthood. This also gives us a new deepened sense to what suffering and living unashamed is when we think about our lives, right? Our pursuits. Because God did not live in his glory and power here. God himself didn't. That's not what we should be seeking. In fact, this defies our pointless pursuits of quote-unquote blessings here on earth. I hear so many people who deny prayer, deny the need to go to church, saying, oh, God's blessed me, I'm all good, right? But the fact is that riches and comfort in this world are not blessings, but just hidden curses. And that's a hard reality to rest in. They're not blessings, they're just hidden curses. We call them blessings to make ourselves feel better about our selfish pursuits, right? Oh, God has blessed me. We pursue the American dream, riches and fame, comfort and status, or even religious works to make ourselves look good. And these should never be a part of our pursuit in life. Christ never pursued his power and glory while here on earth but he lived sacrificially, as we are too, knowing that all the blessings will come after. If you want to live in God's call, then denounce selfish pursuits in your life. Live lives of sacrificial love for the gospel and for people, speaking boldly about this kingdom that we are a part of. And that's what it means to live unashamed and suffer for the gospel. Don't fool yourselves with fake blessings, but keep it real. Know where the true blessings lie. They're only found after the resurrection, as was with Jesus. So there, there's a heaviness to this message, right, that we are called to, to suffer and to live unashamed no matter what comes at us. And this is the means by which we're loyal to the gospel, so allow me to just read for you one more time Paul's writing in entirety. Hear the flow of it. Let it sit on your souls. Let it sink in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God gave, that God has given you doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join in me or join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and he has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to lights through the gospel.
if the worship team could come back up. I want you to hear me loud and clear, church. Hear me loud and clear. You need to ask yourself, are you loyal to the gospel? When other people see your life, do they say they are loyal to the gospel? There's something different about them, right? Are you loyal to the gospel? Are you living unashamed of it, walking in suffering in light of it? Are you loyal to the gospel? If you have been going through the trials and pain of this world, deal with them in light of the gospel. If you haven't been living loyal or you've been living unashamed, come to the place of sacrifice and walk away loyal. If you have sin in your life today, come and repent. Be free and walk away pursuing holiness. If you're living silence, come to the altar and find your voice. If you need to tap into these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us of power, love, and discipline, come to the altar and walk away empowered. Whatever God is dealing with you today, give it to him and walk away loyal to what he has given to you. God has saved us and he has called us and you have the tools to live that out. You can live life holy and unashamed of the truth. So come today and be loyal to the gospel. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sermon Archives from William R. Horn. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and check us out on YouTube. Follow your boy on Twitter at William R. Horn, H-O-R-N-E. And check us out at KingdomDreamer.com.